0: Hey, so in this episode, um, I define rambling because I I basically ramble, but I I call it thoughtful rambling or organized rambling. Um, I touch on South Korea as potentially being another model of a country that we need to follow for the second wave when it hits. I talk about whether or not defunding the police is a good idea and how I might go about it. I talk about my softball league and if canceling it, You know, it makes sense and how much money we should get back. Um, I discuss with myself whether we should be celebrating Canada Day, you know, with the way that we usually do with COVID-19 happening. I talk about the new math curriculum, and I get into standardized testing, EQAO, and and I, I basically lay out what I would do to fix EQAO, and it's a bit radical. It's a bit radical. And then I go on to do uh, a review for a couple of uh, movies and TV shows that I've been enjoying lately. So, hope you enjoy it. Hey friends, family, friends who are family. Maybe people who don't know me that are somehow listening to this. Um, This podcast is going to be a little bit different because uh, I'm allowing things to change as I want to. So, yeah, I don't actually have a guest for this episode. It's uh, more or less me just kind of rambling. And uh, I think that's, that's okay. It's not just rambling, rambling. It's organized rambling. I've written down some things and you know i'm going to ramble about them and when i say rambling i'm i'm telling you like you got to try this it's where you just say a thing that you haven't really fully thought about it right and then you just kind of like talk your way through what you do think about it you you you're talking to yourself in a way you're like whirling things around using words out loud not just in your head uh, i i think it's a good way to process things as long as you're not like you know taking yourself too seriously or you know, telling the whole world about what, what you're thinking on like a podcast or something that, that, that's not wise. Yet that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, yeah, but like rambling, that's, that's all. And you know, it's, it doesn't need to be, I'm I'm not going to, you know, get into anything too cray cray. I think that it's important that we recognize that what you say along on your ramble doesn't really matter so much as what you arrive at at the end. So, you know, that's that's what you got to do in a ramble. Now, this is not an excuse to just like say a bunch of insane crap and then at the end do the right thing and then like, you know, you're absolved of all of your sins. You can't, you can't use it like that. It's not how I'm going to do this, but I'm just saying if I say something that's not like fully correct or half-baked or... You know, potentially short-sighted, well, like don't don't hold me to it until the end. If I say at the end, like nope, after lots of deliberation, you know the, the you know this, this this crazy thing is perfect and should be just fine, like then that's not okay. So uh, if I agree with insanity at the end, then you know someone come and slap me. All right, let's let the rambles begin. Uh, I read this morning that South Korea is potentially hitting its second wave right now and uh, that it's up to Canada to try and learn from them. The reason that they chose to um, compare Canada with South Korea is because they both took measures that worked out, um, relatively speaking of course. I mean lots of people still died and we're not out of the woods here, people in Canada. but they were relatively successful, and I, that's what I mean. Relatively, um, Canada did it by putting in distancing um, orders and defining it very clearly what what two meters is, and um, you know, putting out the stickers and the signage, and you know, making making it a thing people talk about. Social distancing and physical distancing eventually is what it turned into. Um, that became like vernacular that canada put out there and they did a good job of that i have to say and south korea on the other hand um did great with testing early on they had tested quite a bit more than many other countries and i don't want to say numbers but um canada was way lacking in the testing at at the beginning of it in march um yeah but uh both countries have seen some success and you know, if Canadians are smart, and I believe that we are, hopefully we're looking around at what other countries are doing, um, in preparation of the second wave, which I, I do believe is, is science that it's going to be coming back. Like it's it's science. Do I do I have the ability to explain um exactly what? No, not not in some kind of clarity, but I'm sure there's a very smart person out there that can. Um you know diseases mutate and um, when people let their guards down that's when infections will come up and people about to let their guards down i'm telling y'all so that's all i got to say about that um policing wow um all i really want to say is that cops do a job that i wouldn't ever do as the job is right now um that's probably a good thing too. I mean, if you think about it, policing as it is right now, um, I am I'm in perhaps some of the best shape of my life. I don't wanna like, you know, boast that, but that's not really putting the bar very high. I haven't been a very like fit and healthy guy my whole life. But right now I am five five and a half and that's that's not big and I'm like 132 pounds. So that's not big. And sometimes you do require big to be a police officer. And I don't mean just for when you've got to put someone down or arrest someone who's strong or you know, help do something amazing to help save people like, you know, lift things the way that um other first responders do. Um I know that all those things that <laughs> y- it requires a big frame to to be naturally good at it i'd have to do a ton a ton of work on this body and there's nothing i can do about my height either i've tried oh how i've tried um so i you know for the for that part of the job i am just not fit for and that that sucks because i have skills that i think a police department could benefit from, I really do. Um, I, I know how to, to deescalate situations. Um, I know how to identify mental illness quickly. I know the difference between stress behavior and misbehavior. And I pay attention to things like the colors of one's face when, when a traumatic thing is happening um to help me decide whether this is someone choosing this way if they are inebriated not that I get to see a lot of that at school but once in a while yeah well, once in a while you get you get uh, one of those um where where you can say wow that person was trashed and it's not always an adult um or looking at someone and knowing that they're in like a sort of automatism where you know they're they're stuck in a behavior pattern. They're resorting back to you know some sort of um, mental mental illness and and early strategies for dealing with it, which some people only possess those early strategies of like making lots of noise and 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 breaking things because of their cognitive ability, um, you know, and how it's different from from others. Like I have skills like that, and there are. Teachers all over the place, and spec ed teachers are probably even better at it. But there's got to be a place for that in a police department. So maybe there's, there needs to be a certain ratio of, of me, of people like me, people that like to do well, do good things, um, they work hard and stuff. Jobs where maybe the size of you is actually an advantage to be smaller and less imposing, that might be an advantage in some way. Maybe that's why kids listen to me It's because they think I'm one of them and just, just their leader. They just like to listen to the hairy kid. I don't know. But I do know that me being big and imposing doesn't work for a lot of the students that I've taught with special needs that are having moments of crises. And I don't think that a police officer is the multi-tool that everyone always thinks that they are and i think that that might be an avenue for change with with good training so i do want to discuss this you know in depth later on do i want to defund the police and like um you know maybe trim the fat and get get in there and get information from the people that do the job to find out where the inefficiencies lie Yeah, I want to do that. Oh, fuck, I want to do that. Because that's what happened to education and no one's listened to us. Some of those inefficiencies are still in place. And if they listen, they'll get rational thought. they'll They'll get carefully curated ideas from some. They're going to get crazy ideas from others. And you know what? You'll have to figure out a way to navigate those dumb voices too. But I'm telling you, if you listen to the people that do the job, they will be able to tell you what needs to change and what doesn't. But I do think that maybe funding the police as it is currently, I don't know that that makes sense because I think that we are realizing now that we need to do better. And anyone that wants to argue about that, bring it on. We need to do better. Is it a shit show? I'm not sure, it's not me not my day-to-day i don't have you know body cam footage of every cop's day i don't i don't know but i'm willing to say with all the danger and with the way that they're being regarded right now and how they are under the microscope and people that even like want to be police are now being kind of lumped into just a uh, a category of people for some, not everyone, but for some that's terribly offensive. You know, they're not all just meatheads that want to just beat people up and do it legally. That's that's not the case. For all, I bet there are some, and let's get them the fuck out of here. And why not now? Hit the goddamn reset button. And I have it on good authority that cops don't necessarily just always back each other. It ain't like that. I hope I get a chance to hear more about it on the record, but I, I hear that cops do the right thing and they will tell on someone that's doing the wrong thing. Um, I'm sure that they just do it the appropriate way, the way that teachers would need to. Um, but I think that there's room for reform in in the way that teachers are held responsible professionally. I, I do think that... Um, there should be a certain performance threshold, but I don't think it needs to be attached to the students marks. I think it should be around how people learn under, under that person's tutelage. Um, If, if it's a very hostile or uncomfortable environment, you're setting education back. You're not just setting those, those 25 kids or whatever the hell the number is for you that year. You're not setting those kids back one year (laughs) on like the surface. Yeah, that's what it is. But like, you think deeply, you could be negatively affecting all of those kids. You could have uh, you know, a, a, a spec ed resource teacher in your midst, someone there that knows, you know, that just has the passion for being a teacher, and you might be killing that passion for school by being that negative person, that person that makes school scary and hard. Yeah, that sucks, and you're doing a disservice to everybody. So I, I do want every teacher to get better as well. We should we should all be trying to get better. Especially looking in our looking in our own mirrors and questioning our weaknesses. Making a plan for them. So I think that there's room for retraining. I think that there's a certain portion of a, a police officer's day that needs to be for training, training the body, training the mind as well. Um I I I've heard bandied about that uh A purple belt in jujitsu is uh, a really good place to start because of the way that the sport fosters patience and struggle and experience um, and calm because that's the thing that I want. When, When I need a police officer, I want them to show up calm. I need them to show up calm because I have obviously called them because I'm not calm. This is this is a problem that's out of my hands and I can't control it. So yeah, I I expect someone, a professional to show up and be calm, bring the calm, do not add gas. If you show up with a gas can to a fire, you're a fucking idiot, right? So show up with the tools that you need. And most police officers, I believe in my heart of hearts that they have those tools, but I bet when shit's going crazy, When stuff's blown up in your face, it's easy to have a moment. And I know this because I've had moments as a teacher. And the jobs are not even close to the same. So if I've had my moments being a teacher where the likelihood of me getting hurt, although it's still way too fucking high, it's not really on any plane of existence close to the level of danger that a police officer has. So, I'm sorry if that didn't need to be said, but I I just wanted to put that out there. Um yeah, so those are my thoughts right now about that. Moving on. Will my baseball league get canceled? Tomorrow is the 29th. It's the day that the baseball league is supposed to start its schedule. I have heard nothing currently about team sports being allowed to continue, yet sports fields are allowed to be open. So I feel like there's this gray area that, and everything I try to read is old. I'm getting May articles, May 20th, 2020, and nothing's coming out recently saying like, hey, this is not, or this is going um, to happen. I'm, I'm a little angry about it because it was a choice for my team to, to not go in and we chose not to play. And at the time I was told that we were going to lose our, our deposit, which was $500. I'm And like, okay. And we were going to have to pay for permit fees, our portion of the permits, because why should the other teams have to pay more? Um, you know, to, to play when we chose to bail. So why should their portion go up because we chose to leave? And I understand that logic I guess. But I also think that if you guys are willing to play, maybe 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 if it's hard or or fiscally uh, irresponsible, then like maybe maybe all of you should be questioning like whether it's the right thing to do. Like if that many teams have bailed out And I assume more. I'm hoping more. And I really hope that my Falcons teammates don't want to go back on it and play. Although I'm feeling conflicted on that more in a sec. But I just uh, I think it's insane that we're going to lose that $500 deposit and those fees. That doesn't make sense to me now that time has passed. The $500 deposit is supposed to insulate the league in case we don't come up with all of our money before the season's deadlines are supposed to come up. And if we leave them high and dry, at least they have $500 and, you know, it's for their troubles or whatever. That's, that's the intention of the deposit. We're way fucking past that. And my team was like the first team, one, I can't claim that one of the first teams to have paid in full. And when it was deposit time, we didn't give them the deposit. We gave them like a third of the money. So we're not just your typical you know, team that you have to chase for money. We're all paid up. So we're, we didn't bail on the season necessarily. We were given a choice. Do you want to continue or not continue? You got to know you're going to be losing some money. And I think that that is okay. I will, I will, I will accept paying our portion of the league permit fees, just the permits. I'll accept that, whatever it happens to be, but do not add the deposit, the $500 deposit above and beyond that. At that point, we need to call into question what the intention was of the deposit. It was to keep me from screwing you. That's it. We didn't screw you. We were offered a fork in the road. We took left. You went right. And you're going to keep our deposit too, I don't think that that's fair and I'm willing to fight for it. My team had voted to let the money from this season just stay in the league regardless of what happened this year so that the league would be able to, you know, continue um, from incurring costs even though the season didn't happen. And we were like, whatever, you know, it's 260 bucks or whatever per guy. And, you know, all that, although that's still a lot of money, it's, you know, it's already paid for. I'm not hurting for it and I don't think anyone on our team is. Plus if anyone would like that money back again, just hit me up and I'll do what I can. So, but uh I'm thinking about it more now and I'm like fuck. I I think I'd like to have all the money back and roll the dice cuz the league said, you know, it's to help us so that we can continue so that there is a league in the next year. And I don't think that that should be on us really so I don't know my vote if we were going to do a vote again would be to get all of our money back if uh, or all the money that we can get back and to push for the deposit to come back um that's just that's just what I think though but this uh this is hard for me because I love playing softball and you know slow pitch is okay too but it, this is fast pitch. This is, you know, it's it's different. It's not full windmill. That's obviously not, we're not good enough for that. We tried that a few years ago and we got our asses kicked. Pickering fast pitch league was just, wow. Um, go Falcons. We've come a long way. Anyway, um, the pitching with this league is slingshots. You can bring it back. The ball's allowed to come up to the height of your shoulder and then forward as much as you can or as much as you want with as much speed as you can put on it. So um, the Falcons have two decent pitchers and uh, that's exciting. Will and I were going to just shut shit down for uh, for the defense and we were going to let everyone's gloves do the work on the field. And we've got some big bats this year that we're going to hit some dingers and uh, just a whole team approach that just I was super excited about. And I think everyone on the team was excited about too. Um, so it's really hard to say, yeah, I don't want to play because I really, really want to play. But the truth is there's a danger. There is a virus out there and my wife has type one diabetes. Amanda has diabetes and she's had it for about five years now coming up on six, maybe. No, maybe we're coming up to five. I think we're coming up to five. That's what it is. It's any day now. Her diaversary, we call it. Um, it that means she's immunocompromised. She, when you have one autoimmune disorder, um, that means you're far more statistically likely to to be uh, susceptible to getting another one, and coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Um, it's 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 not good for people with uh compromised immune systems now i will say she's one of the healthiest people that i know but the fact of the matter is um you know she she does have type 1 diabetes and her pancreas does not work on its own and um there's a difference probably in how her body you know um processes artificial insulin as opposed to you know the natural insulin that your pancreas secretes but She's, uh, she's way, way, way too important to me to to gamble on playing softball. Even if it's with great guys, 10 other great guys, just, uh, you know, having a summer meeting up every Tuesday, you know, playing ball, you know, slam a beer, have a laugh, see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Um, yeah, like, that's that's what this was supposed to be, and it's it's actually creating a whole new social circle of ten people only it's eleven and we are forcing ourselves into close quarters because a dugout is not big and the diamonds that we play at phew, the dugouts are insanely small um, you can't even hang up your backpacks six feet apart you're you're like your baseball bags inside the dugout you can't um. You'd have to make like an in and out for the dugout side of the, like through the dugout fence openings, the gates. But some diamonds only have one. So everyone's, you're basically just agreeing that all of you are going to be that close to each other. And I would imagine everyone would wear a mask, but you can't, you can't force that, right? You can't enforce it. You can't, you can't make a stink about it. It's optional. And... Furthermore, there's the little, you know, yellow orb that we're throwing around. Um, you know, it's like, well, you can sanitize the ball between plays. Yep. Yep. And then you got to wait for the sanitizer to dry because have you thrown a wet ball? It's not fun when you throw it hard. And in our league, I, I don't even know why, but in our league, um, if you get hit by the ball, if you get hit by a pitch, it's not an automatic first base it's just a ball. It's just a ball. Now that's fine for some guys in our league that don't throw very hard. Cause there's a lot of guys in our league that just throw with weird spin. They don't throw hard. You know, it's more like a slow pitch league with the way that some of them pitch. And then there's a couple of guys in our league that throw about as hard as Will and I do. Well, Will throws harder than me. He does. He's a big boy though. Have I mentioned him five, five and a half? Um, but there's a couple of people that throw hard, and the harder you throw, you know, added with the slippery, you know, surface of the ball, you just you're gonna hit somebody. And I hate in this league when I hit somebody and they get hit in the meat of the thigh, like, or you know, like, and the guy's just trying to like walk it off and be tough. He doesn't want a pinch runner, but he kind of does. He's not gonna take it. He's just oh, he's like rubbing it and stuff, and then the umpire's just like ball 2 tries me nuts um usually i just point to the base and tell the umpire like no he he needs to have it but i guess uh it depends on the score <laughs> i won't lie it depends on the score i'm pretty ruthless i do like to win it's hard to turn off that competitive nature. And that's what I'm finding really challenging. Cause normally I bust my ass in the summer and I work really hard on making sure that my baseball um, skills get sharp and stay sharp. Like I work on throwing and catching and picking grounders and trying to get good at reading fly balls, even though I am not. It's really hard to teach yourself that too, by the way. Um, and I pitch against the wall a lot, work on my pitches work on different grips, try really hard. I do. It's nerdy, but like, I got lots of time on my hands, guys. I don't have kids. I can do what I want. And if you play your sport and you were told that you had time away from your family to go and work on your favorite skills and your favorite sport, you would do it. So call me nerdy, but I'm a happy nerd. Um, but since my team has pulled out, of, uh, of this league, I... I don't really have the drive to go throw against that wall anymore. And that sucks. I want that. I want that back. Because, like, it's a part of my summer. I like doing it. Oh, God. I call it throwing therapy, too. It feels good. Just throw something as hard as you want against the wall. It's going to come right back. you got to grab it and throw it again. Ah, feels great. Anyway. Um... Yeah, not playing ball. It's hard for me. So I'm interested to see what happens with my league. If they cancel or if they're forced to cancel the league, um, I would like to get all of our money back. And that's that's what I would like. Moving on my list here, do we need Canada Day celebrations or is it irresponsible now? <sighs> It's a tough one because we are fucking broke as a country. We're going broke. The CERB is great and it's helping a lot of people, but it's kind of operating in place of like a a universal basic income. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do now, but I do know to pay people To work or not work um, it's costing us a lot of money and we need to get back to work to get more money Um, we need to get our economy focusing on our country a little bit more i think that we outsourced a lot of our production and manufacturing to other countries to save money i think that we forgot then um, how to make a lot of those things and I know that there are businesses that are looking into that. They're going to find our history and there's lots of factories that close their doors. I'm from Oshawa, man. GM's not making cars anymore. Okay, I get that. But that's a big place and there's a giant workforce that's hungry for a job and we need to make more stuff. Look how long it's taking for things to get, over, get from overseas to here. I, I ordered this beach towel it's like a, a blanket. You lay it down. It comes with pegs and you peg down the four corners or the, the vertices if you're a math teacher. And you sit down and you're like, big deal. That's just – that's great. Just bring – and I'm like, no, 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 no. It gets better. You take the sand and you dump the sand on the the, the blanket and it, it's got like filters and it it sifts through and goes all the way to the bottom. The sand doesn't stay on top. Yeah how dope is that? So tell me you don't want one of those. I ordered one of those, but man, I ordered that like eight weeks ago. I'm not even at the point where I'm like looking for the tracking number or anything. Like it's not even on my radar yet. It's not even, I don't even expect it. That's my point. We got to manufacture cool stuff here. Let's get our population working a little bit more. And I hope that you don't think that I'm being xenophobic or racist in any way because I'm, I'm really not. I'm really not. I think that we've given China, who is one of our adversaries in the global market, we don't get along with them well. Um, I, I really don't like the stranglehold that they have on a lot of our goods and, and supplies. Seriously. Seriously. Uh, I think I heard that 90% of our blood pressure medication is made in China. I mean, if we did get into a hostile war, you're probably going to want most people being called to arms. And now anyone who has blood pressure medication, like anyone, they're immediately at risk because they just stop sending blood pressure medication over and all of a sudden there's a certain, you know, percentage of our population that is inherently weaker now because we don't have a thing that we need. So I don't know if, if right now having Canada Day celebrations makes a ton of sense because it's going to gather people. And I think that that's not something we should be doing yet. Um, Let's just like stay and wait longer, you know, and I'm not a doctor and I don't know, but like I'm a pretty calculated and safe guy. Usually the risks that I take, they usually make sense for me and I'm not ready to get together in a big group, you know? Fireworks can be expensive too. And with all the money that we're spending on everything and the amount of struggle that there is, like there are families that can't do anything because they're spending all their money on their bills and their food. Like we're talking to families like living the bare minimum. It's, It's in their face to like light off fireworks. Maybe. Maybe it's in their face. Or maybe it's a night of entertainment that's free for them. And maybe it'll lift their spirits. Maybe if people didn't gather at Oshawa's Lakeview Park or Millennium Square down in Pickering or, you know, down along Lakeview in Ajax or, or the Whitby Waterfront or wherever, wherever else you are and that you see your fireworks, the Toronto Harbor, I don't know. Um, Amanda and I, we see our fireworks beautifully in Pickering from, from our backyard. In fact, where our gazebo got put up, it's, it's interesting, the frame of the gazebo when you're looking, in, when you're inside and you're looking out of the gazebo and over our fence in the direction towards the lake south, Um, that's where the fireworks always show up and our gazebo actually kind of frames it in like a little, like a little TV screen. It's kind of cool. So I love fireworks and I love watching them from our backyard, but I just don't know if it makes a lot of sense financially. Maybe I don't have to make my mind up about this, but just pose it as a question. So if, uh, if you're listening to this, maybe maybe send me a Facebook message. We could do this on the wall if you want. You could post on the wall. It could be public if you want, but I'm just down for like a discussion. So whatever works for you. Um, so I, I won't answer that question because I just don't know. Uh, I want to talk about the new math curriculum just a little bit, just just a little bit. A couple things like one, whether you're happy or not, it's happening. And teachers, we have this amazing ability to see something that's coming down the pipe that we don't fully love and we can pick out the things that aren't good about it very quickly and we can minimize the parts that are positive about it because we want to be right because it's easier. And I don't know. I get stuck in that that pattern sometimes too. So I'm trying to like CPD more positively. But really, they've got to do something about like giving us the exact same PD over and over and over against our will. That's not against our will, but give me another in-service about number talks. Do it, do it, I dare you. I'm tired of it. We've done it, you know? Got that, I have three copies of that book. And it's a great book. It's a great thing to do in your classroom. But stop, stop making us do the same thing over and over you know, very, very our PD. And since uh, since distance learning happened, I think they did a great job of asking us what we want and need. And our board has a new directive. Um, did I just say directive? Has a new director of education and maybe a new direction as well. Um, so far, I'm pleasantly surprised, but Really, it's been very early days. But I have been asked for my opinion an awful lot more than I ever was before. And that is very much appreciated. I take that as steps in the right direction every single time. Ask professionals because they're professional. They will help you get what you need. Just ask them. Um, But in the math curriculum, really guys like some things got taken out, some things got added in, some things got taken out that need to be there, like the grade one curriculum. There's no mention of counting backward. There's just no mention of counting backward in the new curriculum. Is it a skill that they need? Yes. Did you do anything by taking it out? No, not really. Not that one. Still has to be done. You can't have a generation of kids not being able to count backwards. But. I think they did some things with the uh, numbers that they have to count up to that I appreciate. They're really focusing on the number 50, making 50 a magical number for grade ones, um, as opposed to the old curriculum where it was count forwards to 100 and be able to use numbers up to 10 and be able to use tools to add and subtract them up to 20. And it, it was just kind of like a little bit muddy and I think that the new curriculum says, hey, we're going to focus on 50. You're going to be able to count to 50, ones, twos, fives, tens. You're going to need to add and subtract, you know, up to 50 using tools and pictures and stuff. You know, like I think they just cleaned it up that way. And they took out the examples from the specific expectations. They, they removed all of the uh, suggestions that an activity that you could do. They just remove them, and it does make the document more legible. You can read it and get a better picture of what it means. They tried to do that for parents because you need a sentence to have fluency, and the sentences that they used with the examples built in in parentheses on the old curriculum made it a giant run-on sentence that a parent might look at and not really know how to read the correct way. They might just look at it and be like, what the and i know that that sounds lazy and it makes me sound like i expect laziness from teacher or from uh, well from teachers um sometimes but laziness from all parents and that's not the case i don't expect it from all but i recognize that your average parent doesn't read everything carefully from the teacher and from the school so i think the curriculum needs to be clear they did make it clear um, I like that they built in socio um, sorry social emotional learning skills. Um, they did sneak that in there and I, I although I think it should be placed in learning skills, they should redo learning skills on the first part of that report card. Um, that needs a bit of a facelift. Namely, self-regulation needs to be changed like pfft, um, self-regulation is not just about knowing oneself. it's like, knowing what you need to be doing given the situation and then showing the ability to do it whether or not you want to do it. Like, Can you regulate your behavior? Can you regulate yourself? Can you regulate yourself in an assembly? Can you regulate yourself with a supply teacher? Can you regulate yourself with recess? Can you regulate yourself in gym when you have a different teacher? Can you regulate yourself when um, you've just had a change in your schedule? Like, I think that that should be an operationalized skill, self-regulation, and it better fits in the learning skills section. But they snuck it into the math, and I don't hate that idea because if you ask a learner what they uh, what they self-identify that they struggle with at, at school, I'm going to go ahead and say 85% of them will tell you that they are afraid of math or sciences when math becomes a part of it. Those things make them get all sweaty and you know their fists balled up and you know and then suddenly they got to go and get a drink or you know they got to grab something from their backpack. Um, we see it all the time. We see it all the time, and there is a certain quit that has been in Ontario's math students my whole time that I've been teaching that wasn't necessarily there when we were kids. But I would say that when we were kids, there was a huge emphasis on knowing multiplication and division and being able to do certain things quickly in your head. Um, Even in high school, I, I would have every, I think it was, Thursday and Friday, we would have um, arithmetic skills on like a Thursday, and then on Friday would be multiple choices. And they were just little five question quizzes that Mrs. Verhoog made us do. Um, Mrs. Verhoog. <laughs> um, yeah, that she made us do even as a high school student just to keep our brains sharp with, you know, the quick maths. And I think that that is important. And it was kind of missing from our old curriculum not missing, but it wasn't highlighted and it wasn't made for a child to be accountable of it or accountable for it. So that, that needs to be there. And I'm, I'm happy that it's built in. And I think that the bases that they build up the numbers from one grade to the next, I think that that has been impressive. Um, they keep concepts together, like our old, again, I go back to the grade one curriculum, but um they were uh, they were using money in, in grade 1 but they were only responsible for adding and subtracting cents up to 10 cents meanwhile they were allowed to add and subtract numbers up to 20 and if you recall the penny has been like eradicated from you know our circulation i think it's still a, i don't know if that's the right term but we no longer make pennies and they're not being you know given out very often so Yeah, like what the heck would that look like? And since coins are bases of – I mean, well, they used to be one, but five, ten, twenty-five, and whole dollars. Well, letting letting kids in grade one use coins, the the five-cent coin, the ten-cent coin, the twenty-five-cent coin, to make 50, that makes sense to me. That number 50 is golden. So let them use those manipulatives, those coins, let them make 50. And then in the financial portion of the curriculum, it also mentions that money, money can be represented in different ways. And they they make you talk about, um, you know, what's efficient, what's the most efficient way for different kinds of transactions and deposits and things like that. Would you go direct deposit? Would you take it to the bank? Um, you know, and I think those are good things. It's good things. I think the thing that people are most pissed about with the math curriculum is the timing of it. and I can understand that teachers have just come through a gauntlet of a fuck show of a year. Um, in Ontario, at least I know other places were also having their their labor strikes, but um, wow, Ontario went through hell this year with schooling, and you know part of it was teachers putting their foots down their foots. Putting their feet down Um, and I know that this is probably gonna flare up some some you know residual anger from the one-day strikes and all that jazz and that's not what I'm trying to do so if we can try and let that go you know Um, (laughs) so we all feel kind of silly having fought that fight and gotten exactly what we had in 2016 anyway basically so I don't know I don't feel like it was a giant win to be honest Um, but yeah, teachers went through a tough year. Education went through a tough year. And, uh, I don't know that starting off September is a brilliant idea to introduce a new math curriculum. We don't even know if we're going to be in schools. People that hold that opinion, I hear you. I hear you. Um, being told that we have to do PD over the summer, this summer, especially the 2020 summer, you're going to force me to learn about the math curriculum on my summer? Oh, hell no. That's not fair. That's not fair. Because they don't do that with other, other professionals. They do not make you do training during your vacation time. Electricians would never be told, hey, don't forget to brush up on you know, this new thing that's uh, you know, coming up. Uh, don't forget, you got to do that on your vacation. Have a good one, Bob. See, see you later, Mary enjoy your vacation come back with the new knowledge about you know solar panels and how 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 to wire them in or whatever like you wouldn't do that you wouldn't do that you'd never tell a police officer okay great enjoy your your vacation you deserve it you booked it off your family's going on on a trip and you know go you you read your emails every day and catch up on your briefings and like you don't do that i don't think anyway officers, if they do that, please tell me. Someone tell me. Uh, Because I think it's wrong. You don't force us. Let us. We were going to anyway. We we were going to anyway. The good ones were going to take a look at it before the first day of school. And the smart ones weren't freaking out anyway because there's enough commonality in the curriculum that it's not like you're going to arrive at the grade that you're used to teaching and go, oh my God, I don't know what to teach. You're gonna go, oh, this is still there, great. Or you're gonna go, well, my school is following this math plan, so you know I'm just gonna follow this so that we're all in line with each other. Or maybe you're from a family of schools, and I was really proud of uh, our efforts to try this anyway. It never really panned out for me um, perfectly well. But Scope and Sequence is a, a math plan that um, all the South Oshawa area of schools were adopting. And everyone was trying to use that as their long range math plan so that if a kid moved from, you know, Village Union Public School to Dr. C.F. Cannon Public School, which happens all the time, kids go from one school in the area to another very quickly, um, sometimes without any warning at all. And you don't want that kid to show up and have to be learning about the exact same thing that they did for two weeks at their old school that's that's not a good scenario. will it build in some strength for them? Yeah, probably we we'll get a little self confident they put their hand up a little bit more maybe maybe the teacher will encourage them a bit more and they can start over and you know become a brand new student there. but usually what happens is it's that they're learning something that they didn't learn before, and they might have been learning something that is a fundamental building block for the concept that they'll have to learn later on or concept that they already did learn and with teachers being allowed to choose what they teach at whatever time they want you do have those scenarios where a kid might move and get the same curriculum so to speak the same lessons the same everything instruction for you know the same concepts and then never actually learn other concepts and then you know we kind of forget about it but then the next year starts and they're learning their new concept in their school that they're not new at anymore. And they do a diagnostic activity. And the teacher's like, oh shit, Johnny doesn't know about this. And it looks like he's one of the only ones. Well, he was here last year. What the hell happened? And no one can quite figure it out. Because it's just too muddy. Data's just too muddy. And frankly, kids don't remember what they were talking about anyway, sometimes. You know, like they, they might learn something and then forget that they learned it. They'll tell you. I had my own students tell me that they never learned something. And I'm like, yo, I did this last year with you. I know this. Now, Whether whether obviously you didn't retain it, but I definitely taught it to you. And I can look back and I gave you a B minus. That means that you could show, you showed some strength in this area. You showed that you knew how to do this at least a little bit on your own. So come on. Don't tell me you have, you have no, you've never done this. Like you're lying to yourself. But they're not lying sometimes. They just don't remember. Because believe it or not, everything that we're teaching them, it's not the most important thing in the fucking world. No, it's not. It's not. We want it to be. It's not. Um, the most important thing in the world to them is whatever the hell they're most interested in. Facts. Real talk. But if you're interesting enough, you can get them to pay attention to you. So, anywho, trying to get them to pay attention to you. Is September the right time for this math curriculum to drop? I'm gonna say, yeah, I think that it is. Um, you've really got to pick a September. Um, this is long overdue. They said they were gonna come out with a new math curriculum. They should have. They should have almost had one hashed out when they were. Um, trying to lay out their platform for getting elected in the first place. It should have been something that they ran on. They should have had this prepared and said, hey, this is what we've got. We're going to do this. Because they really had a platform of plans and promises. Nothing was really hashed out. And if this was hashed out, I wouldn't have put on the blue shirt, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been so loud against it all the time. This was something I was excited about. This could have been an early win for them, but they piddled around. They pissed around for two years and here they are, they have a September. And if they don't drop it this September, they basically have to pick next September because you've got to have a full year of the same curriculum. You do, you can't drop curriculum in January. It doesn't make any sense because of the reasons I just talked about. People can teach things in different orders. We have professional discretion. We can choose. And we choose intelligently. We're not throwing darts at a dartboard. Even your worst teacher is like doing things in an order that makes sense because they're going to grab a textbook and follow the order. Guess what? The order in a textbook, it makes sense. It often makes sense. Textbooks are not evil, but there's a place for them. And the place is not the first thing that you grab and go for. Okay? Glad that's out of the way. Um, Your worst teacher will just go, Uh, can I see your long-range plans? And then they'll just do that. Perfect. Perfect. That's fine. Anyway, you really do have to pick a September. And if they don't pick this September, September 2020, the last September they have in their term as, um, you know, in power in Ontario is September, 2021. And if they drop new math curriculum, then we're still gonna have the same bullshit expectation of learning it over the summer. That's that's something they're always gonna say that they want and something that we're always gonna be able to fight and say is ridiculous. So let's just like stop talking about it. I wish that they would just retract that statement and it'll just go away. But fact of the matter is we'd be in the same jam, the same boat in that September. And then we'd have one year of their curriculum and then they'd be up for re-election. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, we overhauled the education platform with new math curriculum, with social emotional learning skills built in because resiliency is key in all of Ontarians. We want Ontarians to be strong people, tough people, truculent, you know, Brian Burke, you know, blueprint Toronto Maple Leafs never actually won those cups kind of team people. We want people to forecheck and backcheck and get the paycheck and blah, blah, blah. Like, he's going to say this crap, guys. He's going to say this crap. We built financial literacy for all Ontarians to to come. And you want to vote us out after one year? Flowers take time to grow. Roots have to take. Sunshine has to be collected. Blah, blah, blah. He's going to fucking say this shit, and you know he is. And he's going to be right. You can't judge a curriculum by one year. you got to get sample size. you got to give time to sample size. Let the cake bake. Let, let a kid not just have one year of new instruction. Let a kid get three years of new instruction before we wanna go ahead and say what what it is and what it isn't. Because we're dealing with too many different things. We have different cohorts of kids. We, com- we have data that we try to compare year over year, but it's crazy because we compare, we compare that data to different groups of kids. So we're like constantly measuring kids that change and grow and it, it, I don't know, the standardized format doesn't make any sense as it is. And I've got ideas on that too. What the hell? I'll get into them too. Um, But I really think you've got to pick a September. And I'd rather just get this one done. And then they have two years. And at the end of those two years, if the PC party continues to, uh, to bandy about that they've made all this change and that it's positive, well, I want there to be proof in the pudding. I want them to be right. If they're going to get in again, if they're if the team I didn't vote for is going to win again, I want them to at least be informing their decision making with data that matters. So take two years of data. If you're going to win again, and I don't know if you are, but if you're gonna, well then be good. <laughs> don't don't hurt us. Just uh, you know be rational. Use data. That's rational. Nothing wrong with collecting data and using it if it's rational. But if you want to talk standardized testing, I do have some thoughts on that. Um, it's a bit radical, though. Currently, the way it works, and I don't know how high school is. I think that you have to do a literacy test in grade 9, but I think there's something about grade 10, too. I don't remember. I think you have to, like, take it in grade 9, but if you don't pass, you have to pass it in grade 10 or something like that. But I don't really pay attention to the high school model. Sorry. Sorry. Currently what it is now is grade threes and sixes have to take e q a o although um Premier Ford has canceled um e q a o for the for this school year and next school year um I think he's linking it with the curriculum but the new math curriculum, but i think really um he's trying to give you know give himself a, a chance to save face for this year not having EQAO. Like, that was a political thing. That was a big win that uh, teachers had in their in their fight. But um, anyway, I, I think EQAO is very expensive. And the way that they're trying to do it is just absolutely wrong. I think they spend 64 or 68 million dollars a year to do EQAO. And I just think that that money can be better spent in way different ways. Plus like the data that they get when you're collecting data from grade threes and grade sixes. um, I remember years where, you know, my school leadership would having, they'd, they'd be having us compare this year's grade threes or grade sixes to last year's grade threes or grade sixes and then making goals based on the data from those kids. And I remember scratching my head in those meetings and saying, what are we doing? Like why are we making goals based on different groups of kids? Shouldn't we make goals based on the kids that you know went through that grade? Why aren't we following these kids' data into the next grade? Why why are we always focused on the same two grades? Like I've heard lots of voices fight this fight over the years and good because it made change. We started looking at the cohorts. And, you know, when you're teaching grade six, they were looking carefully at the grade threes. They're like, well, what did the grade threes do? Back, like, what did the grade sixes do when they were in grade three is what I mean to say. And that's, that's more usable data, right? But like, like I said, things change and people, people move, stuff like that. So I think the best way to do this would be, well, I'll get to that in a second. They also used to teach grade 3 and grade 6 teachers how to be better teachers, which is awesome, but usually if you're in grade 3 or grade 6, the school admin team feel as though you are a strong teacher to reflect the division for that school. At least I, I always look at it that way. I think when someone asks you to teach an EQAO year, in a way, it's a nice um, pat on the back and, and a and a good job you know an add a girl an add a boy um, because it's a tall order because the way that they they do this is they like your grade three and six teachers to be trained so you're constantly being asked to leave the classroom for professional development reasons <clears throat> so you spend a lot of days at the board office learning new strategies or learning what they believe are new strategies to you even though you've been trained on it several times, Um, they they believe they're giving you these new tools, but really you're like, I know, I know about this and I know about that and this is new and thank you for that. But really what you're doing is you're forcing me to be here at the office way more than I should be because every day that I'm at the office is a day that I have a supply teacher. And every day that I have a supply teacher is a day that you can expect is not going to go exactly perfectly to plan. And oftentimes, teachers will leave plans that are less meaningful for a Supply Teacher Day, because meaningful plans can sometimes be improperly done or executed or completely ignored altogether. And sometimes you'll have to arrive back to school on a Monday or, you know, the very next day, having to reteach a concept that was taught not only incorrectly, but like in a confusing way that's left more anxiety than there was in the first place. So, teachers knowing this, we often try to make supply days simple. Simple and not new. And that sucks, because those are days that kids should be growing too. But I'm guilty of that. That's the same thing I do. I make idiot-proof days, and I hope to God that the idiots uh, don't prove that (laughs) the plans weren't good enough. And I say the idiots because, like, sometimes there's kids in the class that just, like, they make it their mission to wreck it. Every kid that was a lot like me in high school. Um, Yeah, I consider myself an idiot back then. And an idiot supply teacher. Sometimes, you know, I remember being really good at being a supply, but it was because I looked at the plans and tried to make them happen. Um, And if they couldn't, I left detailed notes about why not and what happened and just tried to be you know, positive and and honest. So that was my jam. And most of the supply teachers I've seen actually have had that same attitude. But uh, when you teach grade three and six, what you want as a teacher is just to be left alone to teach the class. You don't want the interruptions. You know how many weeks I'd have five days in a row with my class without there being a giant interruption to my instructional time? Not very often. So... You know, you cherish that time. and That's how you get the work done. That's when learning happens. Is when teachers are teaching. And then they started to get smarter, and they started asking for the grade four and five teachers and the grade one and two teachers to go for training instead, because they heard us finally saying, "Guys, stop, stop training us. Let's us, let us teach. Train the people that are coming uh, from below, because when kids get there, it's challenging to give them new concepts." and new skills and strategies, and new ways of thinking about things when they got to do it the old way before. Without very much training, you know, it was, uh, it was frustrating having to give the problem-solving model to great students in the same year that you are teaching them about the standardized test, which makes me crazy. Just the fact that people have to think about the test Every year we're thinking about the test. And even me, like I don't freak out about it, but I still think about it a lot. I don't want a bomb on it. I don't want the kids to to do terribly. I don't want them to feel awful about themselves. I don't want them to feel unprepared and I don't want to feel like I didn't prepare them for it. But I also don't give a crap. It's weird. Um, yeah, what I'll say is <laughs> I'm proposing that we do EQAO every year every year. I want to do it every year with every kid every year. And I know that that sounds insane and and it sounds, you know, infinitely, not infinitely, but like, you know, two to three times more expensive. But I'm thinking that if we do it differently, we, we just learned with distance learning, we can do things differently. There's a way of doing it differently. And if the government is going to spend big bucks on this and they are, they might as well get good data. Data that's apples to apples. You know, compare this kid to the same kid the very next year and the year after that and the year after that. It'll help you spot mental illness as well. I'm sure of it. If you see a kid just absolutely plummet from one year to the next, or you see a trend, well, you can start putting interventions in place. And I don't mean the teacher. And I don't mean the principal. I mean someone from the freaking provincial health board could look at the data and go like, there's probably a problem here. Why don't we send in someone to go and check it out? I want testing every year and I want it to be online only. That's where we're spending our money is in the paper booklets, securing them, making sure that they get sent to the right place, making sure they get filled out properly, making sure they scan properly, making sure that the people that we pay all the money to mark them can do the, do it without making too many mistakes. And you know, it's 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 exhausting. It's got to be exhausting. So I say they do it online only, and you'll have to cut down on the amount of employees to mark by a, a ton. I bet I bet this person's getting paid so much money to organize this job. I don't remember who it is. These I think they make two hundred and forty thousand dollars a year or whatever. They're, they made headlines, the EQAO officer or whatever. Um, I I say give them this budget of $64 or whatever he was going to spend on it and make him hire 100 employees, 100 teachers in the summer that will help you assess this the way that everyone agrees it should be assessed. And you guys have already come up with the way that it should be assessed. And I'm not going to fight you on it. I don't love your system, but I'm I'm not going to fight you on it anymore. Okay? It is what it is. EQAO assesses the way that it does, but I think that you can do it online with multiple choice. You can have you can have it, you know, a form assess it automatically, so that all you're left doing is assessing all of the the written forms, um, all the written responses. And I think that uh, I think that there's a lot of efficiency that's there. That way, you're allowing other kids. All kids. You're allowing all kids to use computers to do their test. And so you're allowing all kids access to assistive technologies like speech-to-text when they talk and then it turns it into text. Like It's like they talk and it types for them. Um, Or text-to-speech where you can have anything read to you as many times as you'd like it to be read to you. And the ability to pause it and click the define button and then look up what a word means and I think that we allow them to be able to open up a new tab and type in a word that they want to search for. If they don't know what the word antonym is, don't just kick them because they don't know that it means opposite. Let them look it up. If they're smart enough to, tell them to be resourceful. Tell them to use all of the training that they have in schooling to know uh, to ha- to find uh, a way to write a response that's absolutely correct. And you're truly intelligent kids that already know the or they already know what an antonym is. Well, guess what? They'll go right to writing it and that's fine. But if there's a kid that needs to look it up first and watch a video of someone explaining what an antonym is, and then they come back and they write a response, if they can get it all done in the same amount of time that you, you say this test should be done in, and please, for the love of God, be very, very lenient with that number. I think, I think that you're allowing every kid to share their their true thoughts without the barrier of communication when it comes to writing with a pencil. Because not every kid can do that super well. And it really is the thoughts that matter, especially in this age that's coming. Do I want kids to not write anymore with a pencil? No, shut up. That's not what I'm saying. You're being stupid right now. Quit being stupid right now. Thank you. Um, I'm talking about like new age tech skills because we're basically cyborgs right now. We walk around, I've heard people say it, we walk around, we have any problem, we have a phone in our pocket, most of us do, someday all of us will, and we have the access to like everything with that phone. We can solve whatever problem we have with that phone if we just know how. And that should be a new gauge of intelligence, I think. Are you resourceful enough to be able to get the job done correctly, efficiently, without screwing it up a bunch first or without having to spend a bunch of money on having someone do it correctly after you tried and failed a bunch. I mean, like, can you learn stuff that you need to get better? I think that that's accessible and we should make that accessible. So let kids use computers to do this test. All kids. Um, You're like, well, great. Everyone's going to be doing, using computers. Where are all these computers coming from? Chill out. I'll get there. Um, I also think that they should do an interest survey, you know, some weeks prior to just align the interests of the student with some of the different variations of the test that it should exist to, to help cut out some of those cultural biases that there are. I know even just as a white guy, and I'm allowed to speak on this as a white male, I'm allowed to say that there's a couple of, um, tests that came from EQAO that really did kind of offend me as a learner. Um, Things that weren't accessible to me or would never have been accessible to me. The first was a story about fly fishing. Kids were supposed to read this story. I think it was a story. It might have been a poem, but about fly fishing. And it sort of teaches about fly fishing um, at the same time as like telling a story of someone going, I think. And like, I know very fucking little about fly-fishing, and what I do know comes from Ozark, okay? I think it's like masculine or like, you know, it's it It seems like a very masculine sport. I hope that it's not. Um, I know like my friend Shannon probably fly-fishes, and I'm sure she'd be like, what the hell, Rick? It's not masculine. It's women can do it. Too. I know the women can do it too, but it seems male-dominated, but I don't know. What do I know? I'm getting it from Ozark but like you, you got to be able to like know how to tie your own flies ideally and that the fly isn't supposed to go in the water just supposed to look like it dances on top of the water and the fish is supposed to like come get it But that's all i really know and like these kids were having to write about it as if they're all from like northern ontario where fly fishing might be a regular part of their day or or might not be and i just think that that's that's garbage get that garbage out of here and there's another one discombobulator and it talks about um, well a like discombobulator right off the hop you're like that's the title of it it was a poem about a ride at like a carnival and the ride is you know the, the discombobulator and if they just changed it to brain scrambler if they just called it brain scrambler this would have been accessible to way more kids but no, they had to go use discombobulator as the big title, right? They just had to use the the big expensive show-off word, right? When really, that title alone, just the title being challenging to read, was a kick in the face to all the kids that struggle to read anything at all. When they are met with a challenge in the title, that's, that's just exhausting. It's deflating. So be more mindful that was that was someone's ego at play there like get yourself out of the way brain scrambler would have been fine but even even assuming that everyone knows what what it's like to be at a fair and uh, at a carnival even that's bullshit like i i've been teaching kids for the last 3 years that some of them never go to a carnival some of them will never have exposable sorry Expendable income to just throw away at trying to win a game that, that's rigged against you, you know, so you can win a shitty teddy bear and spend, you know, five times the amount of money trying to win it as you can buying it at Walmart. And it's the same bear, by the way. It's the same bear. And, you know, spending money on cotton candy and, 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 and giant cups of Coca Cola and just like consuming sugar and crap. While you get on these rides that just shake the shit out of you, um, well, guess what? Not every kid has had that experience. Not every kid went to Canada's Wonderland. okay? That might shock some of you that you might be like, well, whatever that's their choice. Like no, I'm telling you like there's a lot of people that don't have money and can't go to an amusement park that that lifestyle, the fact that you're throwing it in writing and you're making them like read about it and explain about it and stuff. That like, to a degree, you're challenging a certain percentage of, of people, and that's that sucks. So here's what I propose to help get rid of that: write various versions of the test. Make make various versions of the test, and keep it simple, stupid. Okay, it doesn't need to be too long. It, in fact, not not too long is perfect. Okay, you're making this a one week thing. Uh, it's it's going to be something everyone does. We're just going to hype every kid up in the school. The staff will do a great job. Whatever staff it is, they'll make it important. They'll pump it up and there's more on that, okay? But like the kids are going to bring their best for this because you're making it one day and you're doing it in a way that helps them and makes sense, okay? So just bear with me, please. Um, you, you let kids do a survey weeks before where they tell you what they like and what they're interested in and then you funnel them into one of the five variations of the test that you made, okay? You make sure that one of them is is a test to their ability to read a non-fiction article or a non-fiction text. Um, you ideally wanna see how they can read non-fiction and fiction, right? So you find out what they're interested in and use that data to help and make the next year's um, assessments. You've gotta make new assessments every year, right? And you got to protect some of the other ones that you like, like they already do. You know, they don't want you using too many, you know, fairly recent ones because then they can't reuse them easily and then kids can, you know, have an unfair advantage. I'm saying like they write new tests every year just like they already do, but less of them, less. Just do a fiction and a nonfiction. And if I filled it out and it said that I enjoyed sports and basketball or like team sports like basketball, baseball or hockey well guess what, they could write an article um, about the Toronto Raptors winning the championship and that's culturally relevant people have heard of it especially people in southern Ontario close to the epicenter of where the Raptors brought home their first NBA title in 2019 which was so exciting and you go ahead and you make an assessment about that it's Ontario content And not every kid gets forced to do that because there's going to be a kid in Northern Ontario that's going to be pumped to do one about fishing and wildlife and hunting. And maybe he's going to be writing, he's going to be reading a nonfiction about the essentials of going on your first deer hunt and things that, you know, you'll want to know. And then he has to do, or she, I should say, she has to do an assessment based on that piece of writing. And They're the same skill level. They have about the same number of words. They have the same complexity of words because you have perfectionists making these tests and I've seen them. And I don't want to shit on EQAO too much more because you know what? When the pandemic hit and I wasn't, or sorry, when when we were teaching this year and we were on strike and I wasn't allowed to use EQAO texts and I wasn't allowed to use EQAO questions, it was considered struck work. That shit hurt me. That, that hurt me because there's some really good stuff that I lean on heavily that I really like and I couldn't use it anymore. So you guys have some good writers. You do need to keep that up. I'm not going to lie to you. You come up with some good questions. Just make sure that kids are getting culturally relevant access to things that matter to them. Let them choose. The power of choice is huge. When we started doing running records with kids, running records is when you read along with a kid to see which words they make mistakes on, and which mistakes that they make, and how many of them, and then you calculate what their reading grade level is. We used to do it with the books that were at that level. So you'd make them read just that book, and that was all. And if they couldn't do it, you'd try it again another day, and they'd be trying it again, and it was like, well, they're doing this book for the second time. That's gotta help a little bit. And it was too much like guesswork. It was too much guesswork to see if it was like a proper test. Then um, they came out with this new system that we use, where it has two books. The kids get a choice at that grade level: fiction and a nonfiction, usually. And the test has just changed to a more of a conversation, where you ask the question, and it's not about what they could write down. It's about more like you know what they can answer, and you know it's just a, it's a better way of engaging kids understanding of a book. And I think that EQAO does a decent job of that. And if they do an online model, they they could really nail it, but they got to do that that survey. But you're like, "Come on, Rick. 64 million dollars a year. It's going to be done online every year, every kid, lots of data, people looking over the data, people at the health department checking for mental health issues amongst kids scores dropping." Blah, 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 blah. Rick, this sounds expensive. How are you going to make it cheap? How are you going to do it? Well, I think it should be like this. You write for one day only. Maths and art in the morning. So that that day, the day that you write, um, you do your maths in the morning. And when you're done your maths, when they're all finished, that's when you'll unlock your arts and you'll be able to do art. Choose to do it or not choose to do it. Your choice, um, but it's unlocked after your math. And as soon as you unlock your your arts, you're actually now allowed to use your headphones to listen to music, whatever you'd like that's school appropriate and comes through the school's internet filters. Um, go for it, as long as you are not bothering anyone. So maybe you're practicing arts just by listening to music. Maybe you're practicing arts. Um, by watching a video and looking up how to draw eyes better, and then you're drawing a self-portrait. I don't care what you're doing. Ideally, you have shaped up what a maker is. You've defined what maker culture is, where you're making something. You're making yourself better at something, which is what I do in my class. I make kids in my class earn making time. Um, I uh, I think if you allow them during arts to do that, with some suggested idea, activities built in, some genuinely, some genuinely cool stuff. Add it in there and let them do that. And then in the afternoon, I think language and science and social studies should be happening. And uh, yeah, I think that social studies and science should be weaved into your language program. And kids should be required to look at maps a little bit as a part of it, but uh, yeah, I think just an appropriate amount. I'm not going to sit here and, and whittle it down to what it is, but an appropriate amount, so that for for two and a half hours in the morning, or two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon, you can give get a kid to do their really best work. I think that that's fair. And then, so how, here's how you how you pull it off, because you know you have limited computers, right? All computers get prioritized to whatever grade is writing the test on whatever day. So on Mondays, grade 1s and 2s write. You're in grade 1, you're in grade 2, get your butt to school on Monday, it's your test day. Tuesday, 3 and 4. Wednesday, 5 and 6. Thursday, 7 and 8. Friday is catch-up day for anyone who didn't write on any of those days. Um, so computers will be there. Friday will be kind of a celebratory day for everyone that has written. By the way, celebratory, I'm talking the whole next week, is like... A spirit week and you're not expected to do work it's a whole week of fun activities with centers and water fights on night nice days and like sport days and organized kickball like dodgeball tournaments and just every teacher signs up to do a thing that they care about and you get to go to that place and do that thing but if you didn't do your test you don't get to go no exceptions No, I don't care if your mom is, you know, really high up on the board of directors. If you didn't do your test, you don't get to go. But don't worry. You can still do your test because there's designated teachers that will be there on all those days during that spirit week that will be there to help support you while you give your test another go. Oh, and this is nuts too. If kids want to do a test the second time, if they want to do a better effort because they would know they were having a bad day that day and they just wanted to do better, well, guess what? They can show up and they can take th- uh, another variation of the test on one of those days and just not do the spirit day activity for the morning or afternoon. That's all. Their choice too. And I don't care. Don't, don't take the scores and then average them. Take the scores and, and let them have the best one. Cancel out. If a kid wants to do it four times, if they wind up doing a fifth one on fly fishing when they don't even know what it is just because they want a better shot, let them go. Let them do it. You're making new variations of the test next year anyway. And may the best score be their score. That's how I feel. So if you can make a test that way, do it. I bet whatever money you have left over from your $64 million and your 100 teachers that can definitely mark this for the whole province by the end of the year, especially when you allow them to use Google Forms or whatever form system you want them to do where it can automatically grade multiple choice answers. (sighs) I'm saving you millions of dollars here, kid. Millions. And I don't even want anything. Take my ideas and go. I don't want any. I don't want credit. I don't want money. I don't want my name attached to it. I just want you to just do something rational. And I think that this is rational. I don't think it's that crazy. You can make it fun. You could make it a thing that kids get psyched up for. We could make it a thing and you could be the province that sets it for the whole country maybe. Maybe maybe you make standardized testing, finally makes sense. You put the dollars and cents in standardized testing. Like, I don't know, but you're just getting more bang for your buck. And I guarantee you your $64 million won't get spent unless you want it to get spent. And if you want to get it spent, you could spend more money on technology training and And that's for not just the students, not just the teachers, but the EAs, the secretaries, and your custodians too. Let everyone know how to use their damn computer. Why not? Why do you force someone who it's not a part of their job to learn everything about the way that teachers and kids have to do things just so that they can function without actually giving them training? It's not fair. So train everyone, train adult and student, and let us learn in the same workshops together, shoulder to shoulder. Let someone come in and teach everyone. You know, safe distance apart, of course. You know, two meter distance and whatever. But I'm talking like Mr. Adams, the tech facilitator, is coming in and he's going to teach about Google Forms and uh, sorry, he's going to teach about Google Drive. And managing all of your forms, sheets, docs, um, and sites um, in an easy way. And everyone that wants to go to that class, they get to go. And you could be a teacher. You could be a kid in grade four. You could be a kid in grade seven or eight. You could be, you could be the secretary. The administrative assistant, I should say. Because um, we all need those skills now. So why not give them to them? So I think that's a good idea. Um, invest that money into your professionals and then let us get even more professional. We'll make you look good, whatever color shirt you wear. If you give us more training and you give us rational training and you let us do things that we think are important for us, give us the ability to choose things and then get out of the way. Watch us go. We're pros. We'll do you proud, I promise. And like I said, I just can't stress this enough. The whole thing doesn't work. That spirit fun week or whatever you want to call it at your school, in your board. Um, it's it's imperative that the kids cannot attend unless they took the test and gave a valiant effort. Don't let kids sit down because I've seen kids do it. They, they give a shitty effort on purpose because they're hurting about something. And they think that... And they might even... I don't know, they might actually be mad at me. One time I think it might have been a kid that was mad at me because I followed through with a consequence and she didn't like it. And her effort on her um, test was significantly poorer than her best effort is. And her best effort was showing up most often most days in the few months leading up to that. So it was really sad. It did hurt me. It was like, it was a thing I had to pretend didn't bug me, but it did bug me. And I couldn't even tell her to do a better effort. She knew. I, I just simply said when she handed it in, have you read all of your answers over and you know that this is your very best effort that you can give because you're handing this in and this is your very best effort? You've done that check, correct? And she's like, Yep. So I had to take it and submit it that way. And I'm pretty sure it was an I, which is effectively a zero. And she easily could have been a level three student easily. And on a best day, maybe even a level four student. So you need to make sure kids are giving a a decent effort. And I know that that opens up a whole can of worms about what, what is and what isn't. But like, Leave it up to the child and the teacher and the parent, because between the three of them you'll figure it out. Let the administrator set up a meeting where all three can be present, and just call call it what it is. And, you know the let's just say that the admin can recommend whether uh, another day another uh, test is is necessary for Spirit Week or not, and make it a tough call. Let the administrator make it after everyone talked it out. Um, but in the end I'm sure most of the time kids will just be like, Yeah, sure, I'll just try again and they'll just do it. Make the process, you know, annoying enough that like they'll just want to do it. But don't give in. Don't let someone have spirit week if they didn't deserve it. I'm big on that. And that's that's how I would fix standardized testing. Sixty four million dollars is absurd to make kids write things on paper and pencil to hand in when the test is is way too Culturally biased for for too many. Even if it's not culturally biased for most, it's 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 too many don't have the ability to access it. It's so it's not fair, not fair. So make it fair. Doing a survey beforehand is a great idea. Have multiple variations of the test that the kids can can choose to take over again. I think that's fair, more than fair. And then let them have a week of celebration because what you're asking of them. To, to measure themselves up against the rest of the province so that you can go ahead and me- take that measurement and measure it against the rest of the country and the rest of the world, perhaps, depending on how big your ego is. Um, I think that that's fair to let kids have a full fun week and let staff blow off some steam and let the numbers speak for themselves and maybe actually tell a story that someone's actually listening to Education can be fixed, and this is one of the big ones. So, Again, I don't want anything. Take it. And if you've got better ideas, (laughs) use those. I'm not married to these. This is just the ramblings of me. Um, I just think that we can do better, and we should do better. All right, moving on. Uh, John Epping is an Ontario curler who uh, Sportsnet actually just recently featured in an article that I read this morning. And he's also a dude from Pickering. (sighs) Not Pickering, he's also a dude from Peterborough, Peterborough, Ontario. And uh, that's where I went to university. I went to Trent University and that's where he also went. I know this because I actually met John. John Epping and I were uh, classmates a couple of times. And we talked a few times as well. Um, I think we probably studied once, just like in the cafeteria. Um, but we've definitely just shot the shot the shit a couple times and just chatted, um, usually about lectures or whatever. Mostly because we're both guys, and at Trent, there's not very many of us. So the, the guys knew each other because you kind of got to know each other. Um, and I remember him telling me that he was pretty good at curling. And... I now see he was being incredibly humble and modest, and I'm not even sure what led to that, but I also don't remember what I replied with. But it must have been something along the lines of, huh, curling, huh? Yeah, I don't know much about curling. I like softball. Uh, you ever play ball growing up? Because that's such a me thing to do, right? Like take what you're talking about, swirl it through my filter about me, and then spit out something about how I relate to your thing and then try and talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah, that's a Rick move. So, like, I probably did that. Otherwise, I would have gotten to pick the brain of one of, like, our country's best curlers, maybe one of the best curlers in the world. I don't know. I think that he's qualified for the 2022 Olympics, or at least that's a goal that he's aiming for. He was narrowly um, missing out on the number one, like, the number one team, uh, spot in Ontario leading up to the pandemic. He was, uh, within striking distance of it. Number two, but I guess I knew him when he was 20, when I was 20 as well. Um, and back then he was just winning or have had just won the, uh, junior national championship, which is a big deal. And the fact that I didn't pick this guy's brain about a sport blows my mind, but I guess I was just a different guy at 20. Um, or maybe, maybe not even so much. Uh, but as a former Trent student, I just thought, how cool is it that he's doing so well? And, uh, I thought it would be neat to catch up with him because I've been catching up with other Trent grads, my friend, Christina, my friend, Jen, and I've talked about wanting to catch up with other Trent grads like, uh, like JT Um, My friend who was uh, an RA at at Trent and was pulled over like eight times in one school year and never given a single fine or ticket, always given the same exact spiel. Um, I'd love to chat with her. I'd like to chat with anyone really that's interested in chatting that has interested in chatting and you know, has something that they want to share. I think I went about it wrong when I was asking for people that wanted to chat about a certain topic. I asked about someone who wanted to talk about the math curriculum and specifically if they were against it, which I think definitely closed off a lot of people to wanting to have a conversation with me. So I got to make note of that. Now I have made note of that. I just got to be more inclusive and and have convos and just let it go where it goes. Um, But I have reached out to John Epping in the most nerdy way. I thought if someone wanted to reach out to me, they try and find me on Facebook. So I went to Facebook, searched up John Epping, and I found a John Epping that five of my friends are friends with. And my friends are all friends of mine from Peterborough or Trent. So I clicked the Add Friend button, and then I clicked the Message button as well. And what I did is really funny if you ask me. Um, I did the same thing that Jen did when she messaged me. She messaged me and she said, Hey, Rick, it's me, Jen. Um, I don't know if you'll remember me or not, we went to Trent together. um, And I was like, what the hell? Why would she do that? Like, we're Facebook friends. Of course I, you know, of course I know who she is. And it's Jen. Like, we went to school together, you know? We weren't like best buddies or anything, but we totally knew each other. And, you know, if I saw her walking down the street, I would be like, hey. I'd need a sec. I'd be like, it's Jen. Jen, hey, how are you? And then we would talk. That's how it would go. I'm sure of it, but, you know, I don't know if John will do that with me. I mean, I would do that with John. I could recognize him, but I think it's because I knew that he was getting big as a curler. And the article goes on to explain in 2017 that he actually came out as openly gay, and he is the first, uh, he's the only um, openly gay professional athlete in North America, and that's a pretty great distinction. So the article went on to describe um, how he helps the LGBTQ community and um, how, he, like, his style of conversation with someone that wants to talk about um, sexuality and and things like that. Um, you know how he's he's not always drawing a ton of attention to it, but he he went public because he just wanted to be able to help just one person. He told his husband, Tom Shippet, I believe it is. Um, no, Tom Shipton. I think Shipton. Um, his husband sounds like a great guy though. Um, yeah. He, he just told his husband, like, if I can help just one person by being out and open with it, because he had already opened up to the curling community. They already knew. He just wanted to be able to help somebody. And I'm sure that he's going to. Um, so, I reached out and said, yeah, I don't know if you remember me, but you know, this is what I'm up to and um, I'd love it if you'd have a chat with me and maybe he'll be on my podcast. I don't know. Maybe he won't even read my message. I have no idea. He's a big, he's a big deal now, right? He's a big deal. So I wouldn't expect him to, but uh, how cool would that be? Anyway, I wanted to quickly finish with um, some movie reviews and uh it's not just netflix anymore because i've opened up i now endorse watching disney plus amazon prime crave i see you crave i don't know what hulu is but i know that you're uh, i'm i'm aware of you i'm aware of you um but f is for family on netflix season four was fantastic it came out just before father's day um, this season is all about Frank Murphy, who's voiced by Bill Burr, the comedian, um, as, he, uh, as he goes through living in the 70s and realizing that he's got to deal with his rage that his, his father has passed down. The same, the same kind of rage. Um, and I totally get that because, you know, I know that myself and my, my father, we've both been working on that page rage for a little while now and we're both doing really well with it. But this season of F for family is, uh, very, very enjoyable because I felt like, uh, things that, you know, I was confronting and I'm sure that like, you know, my dad would be also confronting, you know, just that, that anger and that automatic response to just being negative. Um, instead of just just choosing to be positive, um, you know that that's that's a really hard thing, and it's the thing that we've been working on lately. Maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's just you know, things that life has thrown our way that's forced us to think this way now, but we're both there. And uh, I give it five out of five. Um, I'm gonna throw you through that fucking walls. so that's that's my my endorsement for F is for family, season four. Um also that came out that week. The King of Staten Island. Um, just kidding, I'm not going to review this. Um, my friend Christina and Matt, my friends, they are going to review this movie with me and I don't care when it happens. It'll just, it'll happen. So that's that's when I'll watch it, but I got to say I, I liked it and that's all I'm going to say. I've been watching a show on Amazon Prime called Upload. Um, there's only one season out so far and right away it had all of my attention just because of how futuristic it was. It reminds me of The Good Place, which is on Netflix, which I really enjoyed, starring Kristen Bell and uh, Ted Danson. Um, And in that show, when you die, you don't go into heaven? Well, then you wind up going to hell. Only in hell, they have a demon whose job, Ted Danson, is the demon. His job is to make you think that you're in heaven but still have terrible things always happen to you as like a form of torture. And it's a comedy, and it was very, very funny. I love that show. Um, so on Amazon Prime is Upload, and it's very similar, only it's darker. Um, on this one, someone is killed, and at the last minute um, he, he decides to commit to his girlfriend, his rich girlfriend, to upload into her family plot, and after he died, his consciousness was uploaded disgustingly, by the way, into um, this artificial reality called Lakeside or Lakefield, Lakeview, Lakeview, Lakeview. That's right, Lakeview, where all of her dead relatives have all been uploaded there. Um, and they live as avatars and basically it's like a matrix for them and they're aware of it being the matrix. They're aware and their ability to connect with the living is as simple as like a cell phone call. So it's pretty cool. The whole concept is pretty cool. Um, and although I did enjoy it overall, the story turned into, oh my God, did it ever turn into, um, a love story. So in the end, I became less interested, but I did finish the season, and I'll probably follow up. I give it mm, 3.9 uh, advertisements that result in a gordita out of 5. Yeah, that was weird. I, I know that. Lastly, uh, something that I'm not actually finished watching. I just started, and i am only seeing the first episode. I'm watching Dark. This is a recommendation from the great Mike Mutimer. Um, it's uh, it's a German-dubbed show that Netflix wisely picked up. And uh, because it's German-dubbed, it's subtitled. And I don't want to get into it or give away anything, mostly because I don't understand anything. Um, still, the first episode is a whirlwind, and I'm sure more is coming based on how it ended. Hui. But this is definitely one where you have to put your phone down and commit yourself to reading while you watch because subtitles are challenging. You have to read while you read facial expressions and intonation, and try and figure out why the, the director would have shot it a certain way and trying to appreciate the natural beauty that shows up in art when you watch movies and TV shows. At least I try to. I try to recognize a really challenging shot or a really cool shot or a shot that simply like frames that there's been a passage of time or, or they're at a new setting. I appreciate all of it because without it, movies can be shitty. So we have to start paying attention to that stuff. It's really hard to make a good movie. Pay attention, people. Um, so I really like it, but like when you're watching subtitles, you have to kind of choose to read that or you're gonna get lost. And uh, sobriety is key. So stay sober when you when you watch Dark. And that's it, guys. Thanks for listening to uh, to my podcast. It's uh, it's just it's Rick's rambles, but you know I, I appreciate uh, that it's been this long and you're listening to me still. Thanks. <laughs>